Hey there, we are live. This is our live AMA. We are here with Natalia and Gonzalo and myself. I'm Anna, your host of this Things As Usual. And today we're going to talk about B2B sales framework, adopting sales-led strategies, which is, I think, super important right now for a lot of brands. And that's why I'm really, really excited to see you guys here. Gonzalo, Natalia, maybe we should uh, go in with, with your introductions first. Gonzalo, can you do the honors? I'm the CEO of SaaS Growth. And basically what we do at SaaS Growth is we turn the sales department of startups into kind of production lines so that it works like in a factory. You choose what companies to put in. You have some people doing things like calls, meeting emails, and then in the end, you get clients as a result. Everything works like very mechanically. So like you can build one production line. And the thing is when you have one running, you can multiply it very easily and, and scale very quickly. So this is why we've done it until now with 86 startups learning a lot and, and also having great experiences with them. Perfect. Great to have your expertise and experience here. And Natalia, what about you? So yeah, I'm Natalia. I am the sales manager at Scraper API. My entire career has been around SaaS sales um, and I've worked in lots of different industries. So I worked in prop tech, in MarTech, and now Scraper API is a data scraping API. So it allows businesses to scrape data from, from different websites. And the interesting thing about the Scraper API is they started with a product-led growth. So having a free trial and allowing customers to essentially try out the product first and go through a self-serve model. And now we're pushing more of an enterprise sales strategy. So yeah, so Scraper API is kind of going through that transition now from PLG to sales-led growth. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I feel like uh, also in SaaS Inbound on, on the podcast, a lot of founders are talking about the same thing. Like now everyone wants to go after maybe bigger contracts, maybe bigger companies. And yeah, they definitely have to add some kind of sales motion there. So there have actually been a lot of questions from the audience that I recorded beforehand. Let's maybe start with those questions. And, and first one, well, th this is from us, actually, Gonzalo, and this is mostly for you because you've already mentioned you, you've worked with over 80 startups in Europe, uh, 80 B2B SaaS startups. And could you maybe uh, tell us what was the most uh, common close loss reason there? Because everyone wants to know, obviously, how to win those customers, but also want to know, like, why is it not happening sometimes? Yes, it's um, the, the most typical one is like people like they have a meeting. Let's say, for example, we have a meeting. I, I want to sell you something. And, and you have the problem that I solve. And you say, oh, I, I like the product uh, a lot. It, it's a fascinating software. And then maybe I tell you the price and you say, okay, it's less than I expected. So it, it's fine. Um, send us the proposal and we're going to have a look at it internally. And then we'll come back to you. And you say, okay, the, the meeting was perfect. Everything went well. You send the proposal, you're super happy. And then you wait one week, nothing comes back. You write an email. And they tell you, 
Eh, ah, yes, sorry, Gonzalo. Eh, look, um, we were very busy this week, but I, but we will come to you and I will tell you. Okay. Then you went, you wait another week and, and nothing comes back. And then you call and nothing comes back. This is the most typical situation and the most common, let's say closed lost. Sometimes it, like people don't want to put it in closed lost, but it's closed lost. No, it's, it's ghosting. Like you're never, you're not going to talk to this person again. And it's difficult to, for companies to find a reason why this happened because they say, oh, but they had the problem that I solved. Oh, they, they like the software. Oh, the, the pricing was okay. So what happened? No. And usually it's a mix between we didn't create enough trust with this person because we only saw this person once. We didn't create enough commitment and we didn't create enough urgency. And there are many things that, that we can do in order to create those three things. Maybe later on we can go a little more in detail. But this ghosting, lost, lost reason is something that happens quite a lot, but that can be avoided. All right. And I hope we can talk about how it can be avoided. But Natalia, what is your uh, experience with that? Have you had such situations and how did you tackle them? Yeah, for sure. It happens all the time. Where exactly the kind of situation that Gonzalo mentioned when you're kind of being ghosted and it seems like everything went really well and you're thinking, what, what happened? I think there's a couple really crucial aspects that prevent this from happening. And the first one is momentum. So just having constant momentum there to drive not only urgency, but also the prospects, like their engagement with you. And I think as soon as there's a pause on things and as soon as the control is on their side and we are waiting for them to go ahead and you know do whatever they need to do internally to get this signed off, that's typically when we see the breaks come in and then they get sidetracked with other projects. And it's the engagement and that lack of momentum which allows these things to happen. So I think a key kind of aspect to help solve that is by having potentially calls booked in. So, okay, great. You're going to have a chat with your team internally to get this signed off. Shall we schedule a call in three days time just to go through any questions that they might have had, anything that might have come up in the meantime? And you're essentially putting something in their calendar, which will remind them that they need to do this, but it also give them a deadline to, to do it by and just by having kind of constant steps in place and constant touch points helps you to remain relevant and helps you to remain the, the urgency and the momentum. So that's kind of a, a good tip uh, to do to kind of stop things from, from going quiet. Awesome. Thank you. And there was a question, actually, what is the optimal frequency and number of touch points for outbound sales sequences because like when should you stop some people say it's three some people say it's five sometimes uh people say well never stop you know they're ghosting you at some point maybe there is momentum when you know you catch them when they need you so what is your experience with that yes if we are into the closing part it's different than if we are opening an opportunity like i'm going to answer for the closing part let's say they're ghosting you. They're the main mistake for me that, that I see is, for example, writing a long email. Like, let, let's say they, they don't come to a meeting or they don't reply to your proposal and you write a long email explaining why they should buy from you. 
What this makes is this lowers your value with respect to them because you're putting a lot of effort in something where they're putting no effort at all. And so this makes for them it more unlikely to buy because you seem like desperate to sell and nobody wants to buy from somebody that, that's desperate. So like Natalia said, you always have to end the meet a meeting with the next meeting scale. Like either you win the contract, either you lose the contract because there is no fit or you schedule the next meeting. And if before this meeting they cancel on you, then you write a very short email with, um, we, we didn't make it to the meeting, and should we postpone to this date or this date? And so only one sentence. So also you don't lose any time writing this email. If they don't answer, you can call once or twice in between. Maybe in one week, write another email like this, because if they didn't answer, okay, we didn't make it to, to this date, should we postpone it to this other or this other? And in one week more, if they also didn't answer, then and we write what we say, the killer email, which is, mm, Peter, I was trying to get to you, but I couldn't. Should we close this opportunity? Just like this, two sentences, very short, like nobody wants to close doors for themselves. So it's very likely, like I would say, 80% of times, if we did it well in the, in the beginning, if we created the trust and everything, they will come back with something like, hey, Gonzalo, I'm sorry, I was very busy this week, but let's keep this opportunity open. And then you can say, okay, then let's meet this day or this day. Okay, all right, Natalia, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I think Gonzalo kind of hit the nail on the head there uh, when he said you don't want to come across as desperate. I think as soon as you come across as desperate, then suddenly the value of your product plummets because they think, why are they so desperate? Am I the only one that's buying? Is this something that's like super important? And so you're finding the balance of chasing, but then not coming across as, you know, you need this. This is, you know, this is like the biggest deal that the company's ever seen. So I think it's just something that you have to be wise with and just having, you know, reaching out because sometimes it also depends on the reason why they're slow. You might know that they're getting sign off internally and that their boss is super busy. And ultimately, if you had showed enough value to the person, they even though their boss is busy, they'd be like, okay, but this is really important. This is worth going to them and explaining what this product is and why we need it, even though he's super busy or she's super busy, because I know the value of this product. I know how much it's gonna help us out. So I think it's, as, as long as you've displayed the value, then having maybe two or three different um, touch points, getting in touch once a week, um, giving them a call. You always find out much more information over the phone because they might ignore your emails, but on the phone they might say, look, I'm really sorry, but um, they, they'll give you reasons as to why it's been slow. Or they'll give you reasons as to what's happened. And if they're completely ghosting you, then you know either they're not interested or um, it's not the right time and that they're, they're busy and other things have come up and you know it's not really worth your time to continue reaching out to them. You may as well spend that time getting new leads um, who are more likely to buy. So I would say maybe two or three touch points once a week and then after that maybe get in touch once a month, maybe once every other month you can nurture them and just wait until it is the right time because eventually it will be. 
Um, so yeah, don't come across as too desperate, handful of times sending them emails, otherwise get the hint. If they're not interested, they're not interested. Right. Okay. Well, there, there was something that you mentioned and I got curious. So I have a question. Can I ask a question? You said it's, it's very important to showcase the value of the product. So what is the best way to do that? Is there any hack, like how you can really motivate people to buy and like show what kind of value, what kind of benefits they're getting from it? So Natalia, let's let's maybe continue with you. Absolutely. So you have to think about um, sales in the sense of what would mean a lot to you? If someone was trying to sell you something, what would mean a lot to you? And ultimately it would be what's going to help you? How is it going to help your job specifically? So the person you're selling to, how is it going to help their job? How is it going to help their day to day? And why should they buy it? So if someone's selling me a tool and they're saying, look, it does this, it does this, it does this. I'm like, great, good for you. You have a good product. And I'm going to try and translate that in my head and think, how is that going to benefit me? And that's what the value means. So the value means showing the, the feature, but saying, look at how much time this is going to save you. This is what you would usually do. But now look, doing it this way, it's going to save you so much time or the admin part of your job everyone hates the admin part of your job look at how much quicker and easier this product does it so it's going to save you so much admin time all of that headache is now gone or it might say look at this look at how much money this is going to save you by doing this this and this this product is going to save you so much money so you're not really focusing on the features you're showing the features but what you're actually doing is showing the value, it's going to save you time, it's going to save you money, it's going to save you headache. So you focus more on those aspects. And that's what builds the value. And that's where it's like, okay, this is a great product, because it does x, y, and z. But what that means for me is the money, the time, the headache, you know, those aspects. So I would focus on those elements, what does it actually mean for the person that you're selling to? How is it actually going to help them? And that's the value. Wonderful. You can tell what what do you think? What do you have a hack to to show value while you're selling? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like you don't like it's not so important the features themselves, but why the customer needs those features, no? Like and there there is kind of a hack that I've been seeing that works very well, especially in the first meetings. Maybe the, fir the first meeting um, of everyone, instead of doing the demo, let's draw with them. Like if now we have these iPads where we can share the screen or if we are in person, maybe we have a blackboard. Let's draw with them how they're working right now, how they pro their processes look like. And let's draw with them how another client that is very similar to them um, is working right now and is doing the same things so that they see things in front of them. Like we humans, we are very visual. So sometimes when people tell you things like you kind of, okay, understand it, but we, we say, I need to see that, no? So, and sometimes when we see a drawing of our processes and a, and a drawing of other processes that might be better than ours, we say, okay, now I really understand why we need to change these things, no? And so this, Growing, I've seen works 
much better also than presentations because it's something that you build together with the client and the client pays much more attention because it's something you're creating live. It's not something that you had prepared from before and that you're telling the same thing to everybody. No? So if you guys in the audience can um, want to try this out, try to draw uh, processes and, and make the client understand with these drawings that they have to change theirs. Okay, that's super interesting. I completely agree. Like when it's when it's personalized, when it's just for this customer, you know, I, I thought about you, I researched about you. So, you know, this is just for you. I think it, it creates like it makes you feel very special. So super cool. And uh, yeah, the guys in the audience, you feel free to do what I just did, you know, ask a question because we're not we're alive. And uh, yeah, we can pop up a few, I guess, but we have a Still a great list here, but before we go to the next question, also Gonzalo, I know that you have and and you can share uh, the framework of some of the biggest B two B companies uh, that they use for their sales, like HubSpot and the others. So spill the beans. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's see if I can do it with words. It it this is one of the things that were when you draw like it's easier to understand but um, let's come back to what um, we were saying before when we were talking about costing no and we said okay there are usually three reasons why people ghost on you or it's a combination of them no like you didn't create enough trust you didn't build enough commitment and you didn't create urgency so um, this framework kind of tries to solve all three of them. So the first thing would be, okay, I, I want to create trust with, with my client because we only buy from people with trust. There we are lucky as a human species because there is a hack in, in our brain. Like if we see one person once, we don't trust this person because this person could be from another tribe. And maybe we are hunting and met this person or we went for water. Like I'm, I'm talking like 300,000 years ago, no? But our brain still works the same way. So, but what happens if we meet the same person twice or three times in, let's say, seven to 10 days? Then we even unconsciously make this click and think, oh, this person is from my tribe. And then I trust this person. And then I think unconsciously that everything this person says is going to be also in my favor. So this is one... Um, feeling that we need to create. So instead of saying everything like or telling everything we we want to tell in in one meeting and giving the price, the proposal and everything, let's try to break down our content into several different meetings where, where we already know and, and we can say it from the beginning. We can say, um, look, in our sales process looks like this. In the first meeting, we're going to draw how your processes look like, how the processes from this other company look like, and we're going to see if it makes sense for you to make this change. Because if, if it doesn't make sense for you, then it's it makes no sense that I show you in the demo of the software, because it, it's going to lead you somewhere that you don't, you don't need to go. So then in the second step, I would show you the demo and I would do it personalized for you based on what you tell me today. And if you like the demo and everything is good, then I'm going to make a personalized offer for you to take into account all the things that 
make you special somehow. And so you can, from the beginning, set up this structure. We're going to do it like this. And you will see almost every client is going to say, yes, this makes sense. And, and you will have then the opportunity to meet these people three times and create trust. So we, we could also talk, okay, how do we create commitment? How do we create um, this urgency? But maybe uh, it would be a little too long to explain. I, I will keep it uh, like this. Sure, sure. But uh, I guess uh, trust is, is definitely one of the first things that, that you have to create. And it's not only with the outbound strategy, right? But there are so many things that go into this. Natalia, how, how are you doing it with, with Scraper API? Yeah, great question. So trust is obviously something that's hard to build with sales because everyone knows that you're a salesperson and you're there to sell that specific product. I think the crucial thing to do is just always be honest. Um, if there aren't features that that aren't there, don't don't overpromise things. Don't you know? Be honest with what's with what's uh, actually there. And I think just by um, what I do is I always make sure if there's something that I can show them, not that's negative, but if there's something that I can show them, I will answer the question honestly, but then I'll show them, but this is how you do it. So I think if you're constantly saying, yes, we can do that. Yes, we can do that. Yes, we can do that. Then they might think, okay, well, I can't really trust you. But if I say, yeah, look, this is something that we're building or we don't do it in that specific way, but this is how you can do it and get the same result then what you're doing is you're being truthful. You're showing them that actually, yes, it doesn't do absolutely everything, but you're still spinning the product in a positive way to show, okay, look, it might not do it exactly how you think, but this is how it can do it. So um, I think just by, by showing that you're being truthful, by not hiding or covering all of the flaws, but rather by showing, you know, it might not do it exactly how you expect, but this is how you can do it instead. Or, oh, that's actually a great, that's a great suggestion. You know, what we do is we're a very product orientated business. We have lots of engineers. So I can put that forward to the engineering team um, and the product team. And I can let you know if that's something that's being built or uh, when we can expect to have it there. And then you're, again, even though your answer technically is no, we don't do that. You're answering it with, okay, although we don't do it yet, we will be able to do it at this point. And you're kind of showing that you're an open company. You're showing that you're supportive. You're showing them that even if they don't have something that actually they, you're so valued that they'd consider putting that in. So I think by being honest, by being truthful and by spinning things in a positive way, but still showing it's not 100% there is a, is a really healthy way to, to build trust. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's brilliant. And then imagine, you know, if it gets built, then they're just like, okay, wow, that's the next level. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, but since, you know, since we started talking about urgency, that that's kind of uh, the word that I hear uh, a lot during this 25 minutes, There there is a question about it, like how to build urgency, how to show your um, customers, potential customers, the urgency that they need to buy your product. Because yeah, sure, you can chase the momentum all you want, but it may not be there, right? So how to just like bring them that momentum, make sure it's it's here and now. Uh, Gonzalo, is there a way to do that? Yeah, like they're basically two ways to do that. Like 
first way is let's say the rational thing like mm -hmm. you can find okay if we start now we're going you're going to save so much money instead of if we start um, whenever or we should start um, next week because look in two months there is this event and by then we should have everything already set up this is the rational one that we can always use it's not the one that i like the most the, the one that i like the most is the emotional one and this has also to do a little bit with what we were saying before with trust and what anna was saying with scheduling always the next meeting like what we do if we have these three meetings the first one with the drawing the second one with the demo the third one with the proposal so by the end of the third one you already created a lot of trust and so you can tell the person look like we saw that you're doing things this way that this other company is doing things this other way and, and that we want to get there together we saw that you like the product that we have we saw today the proposal and the price was okay we don't have to make a decision today or tomorrow like it's very good to sleep over it to speak about it internally and everything but what about if we make a 10-minute call next tuesday at 10 and there you tell me if we want to start to work together or not and if it's and if not there's no problem there since you built all this confidence like all this trust before it's they will tell you ah, yes let's, let's do it like you're almost friends so yeah and then in a lot of cases they will tell you either yes or no like if we don't do that the the opposite way what happens is they're going to come like other priorities maybe in between and this is going to delay their answer maybe not because they don't want to buy from you but because they have more urgent things or and to do so by by putting this deadline as natalia said we are creating this emotional urgency they have to give you a response because you are already kind of friends and they committed to that so this is for me the best way to do it okay thank you natalia what is the way you do it yeah so what um gonzalo touched on is, is really important so i think when you build that trust and then also you display the value of your product then suddenly it has a time frame of, well, for as long as we're not having the product, that's how long we're missing out on that value. So I think just really focusing on a value heavy approach really helps build urgency, constantly comparing it to what their current process is. So saying, you know, if you if you don't move ahead with this product, like what does that mean for you? How are you going to achieve your KPIs? What does that mean for how long it's going to take you to do things? How many more projects are you going to be able to do when you have this product here? So I think just always talking about your product in the how is it going to help you, that helps to build urgency. And then another really good tip that, that I do is offering discounts. If you offer a discount and they sign by the end of the day sometimes, or you know, uh, if you sign by the end of the week, I can actually offer you 10% off. Or, you know, my management's allowing me to offer 10% off to, to all of my accounts this week or something along those lines where suddenly there's an urgency of, okay, if we get this done now, we get that discount. And doing something like that gives them a deadline to work towards and it builds that urgency because suddenly it's like, okay, well, we want it now because we want the discount. So those are the two things that I typically do to, to create urgency.
That's really cool. Thank you. All right. Well, um, I remember there was a question because you also said that there's, you know, one one call when you just get to know each other, and then you know the next one with the demo, and the third one with the price. And uh, I remember someone asked like, why there should be all these calls, and like what to do if a customer, a potential customer, asks you for a price right right away, like on the first call. Like I, I just want to know everything uh, right now and move on. So what to do then? Gonzalo, let's start with you. Okay. Yeah, I, I say there is one one golden rule in sales that you shouldn't tell the price before the decision maker has seen the value. Because let's say, for example, some person in the team of the decision maker is speaking with you and I don't know, maybe you do the demo or maybe you do whatever and they ask you, okay, and how much does it cost? And then you tell the price. This person is going to go to her boss, maybe uh, in the next hour, and is going to tell them, eh, look, eh, I was speaking to, to these guys, they do this thing, and it costs so much. Then the boss is going to say in 95% of, of, of the cases, oh, this is too much. Why? Because they haven't seen the value, you know, like they, they, they don't feel like there is a big difference between working with you and not working with you. So they, they really have to come to the meeting, see the value and see that there is a big gap between how they are doing things now and how they could be doing things. Otherwise, everything is going to be too expensive. Like th there is no expensive or cheap. This is just, it's worth it or it's not worth it. No, so always wait for that. If like you feel you have to come up with an answer because otherwise this other person is going to be unhappy. Like you always have to have some order of magnitude prepared in your head. Just like, don't say a number. For example, like people, when, when they ask me, okay, and how much does it cost um, to work with you, to do a project with you? And I tell them, look, doing a, pro a project with me, like means at least you're going to be hiring your first two salespeople. So, and the project with me will cost half the salary of one of these people in one year. So if you're hiring two people for two and a half, you're going to have all of this and all of this and all of that. And I think, okay, two and a half instead of two, this makes sense. And they don't know how many euros <laughs> those are more or less. So they're not going to come to the boss and say, like, I, I was speaking with Gonzalo, he does these cool projects and, it's, and it costs so much. He will come like, oh, um, it's a project that makes sense and it's a price that more or less makes sense. So you give them an estimate, but not, but mostly just emphasize and value like what they're getting out of it. Exactly. And, and you, you need to find something to compare your value to. And, and this something might as well be something expensive <laughs> because then you're going to look in good in, in comparison. Yeah. All right. Natalia, what, what, what is your opinion here? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it's kind of like if you're going to buy a car. So if you're going to buy a car and someone says the car is $20,000 and you might think, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. But in your head, you're thinking of like a very, I don't know, maybe like a mini or a Fiat or something. But I'm actually selling you a Ferrari and $20,000 for a Ferrari is like the best deal ever. 
So I think it's just thinking about products in that sense as well of if you go in with a price, they put this expectation that's already in their head of what the price should be and what your product looks like. But really, you want to show them all the gadgets, all the gizmos, all the, you know, look at how cool this car is and you only get it for $20,000. You can only really sell for that price once they've seen the product. So I think exactly what Gonzalo said, always show them the, the product first, always talk about the value of the product first before you give the price. But if people are really pushy on the price, the best technique is to say, look, we don't have a flat fee. Um, our pricing is dependent on what you're looking for. So, for example, if you sell something on a credits basis, then it might say, um, you know, we really need to understand what your requirements are so we can understand how many credits you need. And then that will let us know what the pricing is. Or if you're selling a platform, it's like we really need to understand what aspects you need to look at because that will help us understand what the pricing is. We don't have a one size fits all product with one price. It depends. And then they think, OK, fine, well, I need to have that call with them to give them additional information so that they can give you the price. So you're basically trying to make sure you can find out as much information from them as possible to tell them the price, because every company is going to have different budgets. One company might be willing to spend 10 times more on your products than another. And you want to know that because you want to know how can I maximize the revenue? So the way that you maximize revenue is understand them, qualify them, ask them the questions and let them know that the way you can find out pricing is after you understand their requirements. Then you can let them know and you do that by showing the product first and asking those questions first. So it's almost like a two two way street. If they want to have information from you, you need to have information from them first. But you have to make it sound like there's a reason you know, not just like, well, like, you need to tell me this first and then I'll tell you the price. No, you need <laughs> to make them feel like, OK, fine. They, they want to know it. Uh, they need to know this information about me and then they, I can find it. It's like a trade. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's pretty cool. OK. Could you share some tips and tricks when the business side chooses your solution? But for example, legal and procurement discussions uh, take months to close the deals. So. I guess salespeople have very little like power over over these processes externally, but still, is there any way to like move the needle? Gonzalo, what is your take on this? My approach on this is like when you're talking to somebody, like it's you should always talking be talking or in most cases to somebody um, of the business. Like you don't want to be talking to somebody, for example, from IT and so on, because for IT people, like doing some change, introducing something new is another task on their to-do list. And for business people, it's something that is going to help them to reach their objectives. So usually you're, you, you're going to target business people. And when you're talking with one of them, and let's say, for example, they need to validate something with IT, say, oh, yeah, great. I like this. I should validate this point, this point, this point with IT. Make sure that it's very, very clear what, what needs to be validated. It's not that it's not something like I'm going to talk to IT and I come back to you. Okay, you're going to talk to IT. What should we valid validate exactly? These three points. All right. So when do you think, by when do you think you will ha have gotten the time to talk to them? Maybe in two weeks, three weeks, then we schedule our next 
touch point in the two of us after three weeks, after you have uh, talked to IT and you have validated these three points. Like everything needs to be very objective. If, if we leave things like in the air, I'm going to talk to IT and, it, and I will come back to you when, when I've done that. There is no timing, there is no content what will be talked and it's going to hang up in the air. We should fight against these two things. Okay, super. Uh, Natalia, well, Scraper API is, is fairly technical product. How are you fighting these things? Yeah, for sure. I think the, the first thing to do is make sure that all of the commercial aspects are all sorted first. So make sure that everything is ready. So you're at the point where it's, okay, if this gets signed off now by your legal team, or if your tech team now sign this off, is there anything else that you need to do to progress? And you just make sure that everything else is ticked off. And that's literally the last one remaining thing or the last two remaining things and then what i was mentioning before about the momentum make sure there's constant momentum so once everything's then signed off it's sat with legals what you want to do is firstly make sure that they are sold enough on the value of this for them to be pushing this internally so let's say you have a tool that you want and you need your uh, finance team to sign it off and you send it to your finance team and, you know, they're taking a while, but you're really desperate for this tool. You really want it. So then you would start chasing them like, hey, you know, can we put a bit of, you put a bit of pressure on them. You, you try to put a bit of urgency on their end because you really want it. So what you need to do is make sure that your champion, the person who's buying it from you, has that level of like urgency that they really want this because it's really going to help them. So the main way of doing that is by making sure you've articulated the value and that they know the value of the product and then having constant momentum. Exactly what Gonzalo said. So, OK, what do they need to check? How long does it typically take for a legal team to read through the contract? One week? Great. OK, let's put a call in the calendar to, to organize that. Or can I have a call with your legal team just to go through any of the, you know, the terms that they want to change or whatever that might look like? So you just want to have high touch um calls to hold them accountable to that you know we're going to try and do it at that point to continue the momentum but also your main driver is the value that the value is so clear to them that this is something that they want that they are then doing the chasing for you internally on their end okay that's really interesting thank you and make make complete sense all right so the next question is uh, oh, I like this one. I wish all the companies knew the answer to this one. How to get a constant, reliable lead pipeline for enterprise prospects? Gonzalo, what's your experience? This is a difficult one because you don't even get a reliable pipeline for middle-sized companies and for enterprise companies, it's still more difficult. But like also with Many people are afraid of prospecting like big companies because they think you can only get to big companies if you have the right contacts um, and, and so on. No, like you need to know the people who knows the people. But it's not like this. Like you can also come to enterprise accounts by showing the value to people who are lower in the hierarchy and these people pushing up in the hierarchy to get your solution bought, no? So, and, and the good thing in, in enterprise accounts is, is that you have 
many people that you can potentially talk to. And it's hard work. Like you have to try to connect with different people. I, I often see it like these um, Roman soldiers, like when they are protecting themselves with these uh, shields, no? and they are in this formation. Like it's really difficult to get in, but you have to try it from many different angles with many different people, also through many different channels, LinkedIn, email, phone, and um, until you kind of somehow break in the enterprise no? and, and you find the right contact that can bring you uh, up. You might have tried with many others uh, before where you thought, okay, this might work and it didn't, but you have to find the right one. So there it's also a thing, a matter of um, hard work of having the people with the right skills, trying a lot and trying a lot and trying a lot. And, and in the end, um, you will, if you try it a lot with many companies in parallel, some of them are going to work sooner or later. And then you will have this kind of um, more or less constant stream of, of opportunities. Right. And possibly a network of, of the companies and of the decision makers there. Uh, Natalia, is there, is there a hack that, that you use? I think just having multiple lead generation channels is really important. So having in terms of marketing, making sure that you have substantial amount of ads going out, Google ads and maybe events, organizing events, maybe joining even kind of LinkedIn groups and forums and making the brand more known so that you have inbound leads coming in from marketing. But then also from a sales aspect in terms of outbound, there are lots of different tools that you might want to use to do your outreach for you. Um, you might want to focus on different, different kind of channels. So LinkedIn, emails, calls, even gifting, sending people gifts to their office, maybe like a box of cupcakes with your logo on it, maybe sending a voucher for a coffee and say, have a coffee on me and let's set up a call or just trying lots of different avenues and uh, channels for your outreach to and, and ensuring that that's something that your team are focusing at least two hours a day on. Say every morning they do two hours of prospecting. I think that's the most important thing because then you have a constant supply of leads coming in. And if one channel is not working well, if LinkedIn's not working well, then you still have your other channels that might work. So lots of kind of trying out different different ways, going to events, meeting people at events and just ensuring that there's a significant proportion of the day spent on prospecting so that you have uh, good leads coming in. All right. Thank you. That's wonderful. Um, OK, I guess we have time for maybe two uh, smaller ones because I, I still have a few here. Um, Okay, this one is fairly easy. Which tool do you recommend for outbound prospecting? Gonzalo, is there any tool that, that you're using? One that we use a lot is Phantom Buster in mm -hmm. order to do, uh, in, or I think it's, it's similar to Scrapper, not to the one, like in order to get the companies and so on. And another one that we use a lot uh, um, to get the contact numbers and so on is Lasha. Like, there, sometimes you don't like you. You get even the personal number of of the person, and there you have to be a little bit careful. Like, what do you and how do you begin the call? No, so not, not to be 
every route. So you have to come up with a very good reason why you're calling uh, the research that you did and everything, and that you really think that you can help this person. And then many people, even if sometimes they, at the beginning of the call, they seem a little bit like weird, say, okay, but tell me more, no? And sometimes you can flip it around and, and have a good conversation. Okay. All right. And tell you what's, what's Scraper API tools? Scraper API? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we use, um, so we use Sales Navigator to find uh, the employees from different accounts that you want to reach out to and making sure that you're reaching out to the correct job titles and who's the relevant person. Uh, we use Lusher as well to get contact details, so email addresses, mobile numbers of prospects. Um, and then you have kind of email automation tools, so there's tons. Uh, we use HubSpot for that which allows you to create sequences, but there's um, there's also one called Yesware. There's tons of different kind of outreach tools that you can use. And then there are also businesses that actually do that for you. So there's a company, for example, called Sopro, and they do all of your, they, they go on your prospects LinkedIn, they do email outreach for you, and they generate you leads. So there's pretty much tools for every aspect of outreach there's gifting platforms that you can use to send personalized gifts to your prospects there's tons of things for pr pretty much everything that you want to do whether that's kind of direct mail or outreach that you do or outreach that you want to outsource and those are the few that we we look at with scraper api all right thank you okay and let's maybe take this one last what is the perfect demo and how to structure it? Is there a perfect demo? Uh, Gonzalo, what do you think? Yeah, like there are demos. The main mistake that, that I've seen is, especially when at the beginning, no, when in the startups, when founders are selling and they do the demo, like they want to show everything the product does. And, and this is a very big mistake because um, quite often the client is thinking, okay, I, I don't need all these things. Like, I, I just want to solve this, that, and that. No. So this is one big advantage when we separate the meetings. And let's say, for example, first, we do this first meeting with a drawing and so on, and we find out everything that they need. Then we might find, for example, find out, for example, three things that they need to solve. When we do the demo, we can just go through these three pains and we can say, look, last time we saw each other, we were seeing that you were doing these things like that, and that this other company was doing things like this. So this is how it is done with the software. And it's very easy. It's like that and like that. Do you like it? Do you find it easy? Ah, yes, yes, I, I like it a lot. And this might be like three minutes. And then you go with the second thing, another three minutes. And with the third thing, another three minutes. So in the end, you can do a very short demo, maybe 15 minutes or so, that covers everything that is important for the client and, and leaves the rest for questions and, and everything. This would be kind of the perfect demo. Okay. All right. Natalia, what do you think is a perfect demo? I think firstly, people have very short attention spans. So keeping your demo short, maybe 30 minutes max, 45 minutes max, uh, because people aren't going to retain everything that you're saying. You don't want them to get bored. And there's also a statistic, which is something like people only retain 20% of what you tell them. So you basically just want to shorten your demos as much as possible. And exactly what Gonzalo said, find maybe three or four key values that you want to portray. 
and that you want to show. So based on whatever conversations you've had with them previously, however you've qualified them and what aspects they've, what challenges they've brought up to you, that's, those are what you want to tackle. And so you might want to start off with a bit of bit of chit chat, make people feel comfortable. I don't, I always think it's better when salespeople are a bit more fluid and not, you know, this is what we're going to discuss today. Have a casual conversation, show them that you're human, you're there to help them, you're there to show them the platform and how it's going to help them. Uh, you're there to personalize it to them. So you have a bit of chit chat, you carry out like an agenda and you say, thank you for joining the call. What we're going to do today is we're going to go through some of the key aspects of the platform that I think is really going to help you. And we'll go through kind of what your processes are and how this can fit into your processes and hopefully save you a lot of time and a lot of money or, you know, whatever the values are. And then you just go into a couple of the features and you show them, you know, this is the area, this is how it will save you so much time. I know that we spoke about this before. So now look at how you can do it based on that, how much time it will save you, how much headache it will save you. And then you always end it. You always ask them questions. So you pause and you say, how do you think that will work for you? Or what are your thoughts on this? And you basically want them to say to you, that looks good. That looks great. Yeah, I can see that that will help me. You want them to say it for you, like let them tell you why the product's right. going to work for you. And then at the end, is there any concerns? Is there anything that I've shown you that actually you think, oh, I wish it did this or, and then address those, say, okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Actually, you can do that. This is how you do it or answer any of their concerns and then always end the demo with a next step booked in. So you always want to have, whether that's like a trial call or just a call to go through pricing or whatever that might be, you always want a next step booked in. So that's typically how it goes, like agenda, sorry, like chit chat, then agenda, then going into the product itself where you pause and you ask some questions like, how is this going to work for you? Does How does this look to you? And then you end it with any questions that they might have, any kind of concerns that they might have. And then also book in next steps. All right, wonderful. I think this is the perfect way to to end this session. There was so much knowledge and so much expertise here. I uh, also learned uh, a lot. Thank you for answering my question. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here, uh, Gonzalo. Could you please maybe uh, tell the audience how to find you, how to reach you? If anyone wants to know more about uh, what you're doing with sales growth or maybe learn about uh, sales. Yes, uh, you can find me at salesgrowth.eu or at, in LinkedIn, Gonzalo de Lomana. It's a Spanish name, maybe a little bit difficult <laughs> to, to spell, um, but I, I guess it will be somewhere in the notes no? so that, yeah. that you can uh, find me there uh, on LinkedIn with that. Thank you. And uh, Natalia, how to find you, how to try scrape your API? Yeah, for sure. So if you're interested in acquiring data of any form, if you want to do a competitive analysis and look at pricing of your competitors, or if you want to look at different kind of and anything that is publicly available information, if it's helpful for you to, to scrape that data and store it, within your own product or within your own um, database, then um, get in touch. So my email is natalia at scraperapi.com. Um, and you can also head over to Scraper API to try a free trial and 
try it for yourself. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, guys, for being here. It's been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. And take care. Thanks, Anna. Thank you very much.